And we're back, Stripe Show Podcast on a Thursday. Hope you're having a great week. Stripe Show Podcast brought to you by Encore Golf. Encore designs high-performance golf balls for players of all skill levels and swing speeds. I put a Vero X1 in play today down at uh, Palm Coast, Hammock Beach, the ocean course. There's the conservatory down there as well. Love that place. It's been a while since I've been there. Champions Tour was there years ago, actually caddied for a player uh, that year. So it was good to be back. Love that place. Beautiful place. Great golf course. And um, yeah, it didn't play too bad. So it was nice. Vero X1 kind of flew straight off the tee. Good precision into the greens. And I made a few putts. And another guy that actually played some golf today as well. We've been in touch here over the last week after talking to Jeff Smith last week, talking about Aaron Wise. And I was saying to him, Jeff, man, this putting of Aaron Wise has gotten so much better. Like, what is going on? And uh, he gave me a little insight to the guy that he's been working with, and he's kind enough to join me today after a round of golf himself at the medalist, Stephen Sweeney. How you doing, Stephen? Hey, Travis. How's it going, man? So uh, we played golf today. How about that? couple golf coaches out playing golf in sunny Florida today. It is a good day when you can get out in Florida in uh, November and, and get 18 holes in. And we didn't we didn't play t- you know terrible golf courses either. Pretty pretty cool places. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're spoiled. Yeah, we're we're definitely spoiled, and um, that's all right. We work hard, and um, and I'm really excited about this podcast because we're going to talk about putting uh, in this podcast, and we're going to talk about uh, the players that uh, that you work with, which. This week at the Hewlett Packard Enterprise Houston Open, you had six players in the field, but one of them um, had to withdraw, and he just happens to be the defending champion, Carlos Ortiz, a guy that you work with uh, on his putting. It's his shoulder. How, how's he doing? Can you give us an update there? Yeah, I think the long-term prognosis for Carlos seems pretty good. Uh, you know, he was obviously hugely proud to be going there as defending champion, and he had obviously picked up something in, in Japan that was, was really disturbing him. Mm. From, uh, he bar- barely could lift his arm back in Japan wow. on Saturday. So had to pull out. And then, uh, you know, obviously being his home home uh, event last week in Mexico, he really, you know, pulled out all the stops to try and give everything to play in front of his home crowd. And I, I think it was, you know, a, a second place finish was a great week, but, I think at the end it was maybe just uh, as much as the body could handle. So he, I think he's probably going to shut it down maybe for for the next few weeks and, yeah. and come back come back strong and fit and ready to go in twenty twenty two. Yeah, he had a good showing down there uh, in Mayakoba, and another guy that played well that I've been talking about quite a bit here, uh, Aaron Wise, uh, who you work with. We're going to start with him, but we're also going to get to a number of players here that uh, Stephen works with, Mito Pereira. Follow the podcast. You guys know I'm big on him. Can't wait to talk about his stroke and where that is right now. Uh, Joaquin Neiman, uh, you also work with him. Shane Lowry, Sebastian Munoz. So we got some ground to cover here. I want to get right to it. And I want to start with Aaron Wise because when I was telling Jeff about Aaron, I'm like, look, I'm, and I study these guys and their players and I, and I'm looking at his putting stats and I'm like, okay. Aaron Wise, historically, very good off the tee, very good approach game, solid short game. His putter went through a very difficult time there uh, last year, and it was really holding him back. And then all of a sudden, about in June, I'm starting to see, okay, 17th at the PGA, he's positive 3.5 putting. Ninth at Memorial, he's positive 2.5. He goes positive 2.9 at Wyndham, 2.7 at BMW. And he's just been living in this positive eighth at the Shriners, fifth at the CJ cup 15th in Mexico. And I'm like, okay, if Aaron wise starts putting like this, this second win is coming. This is a former rookie of the year. Uh, wins the Byron Nelson a few years back. And all of a sudden now this putter starts to heat up. This is a kid that's going to win again. What has happened here over the last, let's say six to eight months, take us inside the putting of Aaron Wise in this tremendous turnaround. You know, it it all started with my relationship with Jeff Smith. And Jeff has become a very good friend of mine as well, well as a colleague. And 
you know, we share a few players um, and, and that list probably has grown a little bit the last year and a half. But uh, Aaron, yeah, like you said, Travis, you know, he was, he was really struggling um, probably a little bit from the mental side, as much as the technical side. And, um, you know, we, we persevered, started working with him when he was obviously using a standard 35 inch putter, um, trying all different types of necks and hosel designs and face balance and, you know, all these things. And, um, you know, Jeff really was awesome, uh, you know, in, in guiding Aaron towards working with me and then trusting me to do the work with him and, and, you know, we tidied up the stroke mechanics, first of all, uh, which was, yeah, it was, you know, in comparison to how talented he is and how good his mechanics for his long game is, his, his putting mechanics weren't great. And that, I think that had caused a few other issues to creep in. So it started with the with the short putter and, and we had some seriously, you know, good weeks and, and great success. I think you mentioned the, the PGA Championship. Mm-hmm. I think he was sixth, sixth in putting that week with the short putter. Um, but we were at medalist, uh, just before the playoffs, actually just before Barracuda. And, uh, he showed up with this long putter and he told me the story that he'd won in college with it. It was Casey Martin's putter, his old coach. And, um, he, he, he'd won with it and he, he wanted to try it. So we, we, we tested it on the Quintic ball roll that I use and, the numbers were amazing. And I, I watched him putt with it on the putting green. And I just thought, wow, this, you know, I couldn't believe it was six years, I think, since he'd last had it in his hand. He looked like a natural with it. And we literally, within an hour, said, okay, let's go with it. What's the worst <laughs> that can happen? <laughs> and so far, the, the rest is history. So what what improved? Like when you go from that 35 inch to the longer one. Cause he's like, you said, he's used the longer one before. Was it yes. what mechanics? I mean, obviously mentally he freed up and started rolling it, but what mechanics do you, do you think improved if any, or is it just all mental at that point? Um, there was a little bit of the mental game improved, but Aaron technically has struggled with speed control. Okay. Um, and, you know, other players have spoken to him about it since, or there's been speculation, you know, how much of this was like down to nerves or whatever. But Aaron, typically, his putting stats weren't great because his approach putts were, he was putting a lot of pressure on himself, leaving four and a half to seven feet, eight feet putts after like a poor approach putt. Um, whereas other guys are knocking it up to two feet and just brushing it in. So a lot of the stats look probably worse than, than they really were based on the short putting. Um, so his speed, you know, I didn't expect it with the long putter. His speed improved dramatically. And I think if you ask Aaron, the, the main improvement still to this day has been his speed control mm. with the long putter. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. And when, when, you, when you're looking at speed and distance control, is there – is there a line like say with Aaron or players or just in general where it's okay, this is a makeable putt. Let's be more aggressive. Let's try to get it past the hole versus, you know what? Long putt, big sweeper. Let's just get it within four feet. Is there a line where it's like, okay, let's make it versus let's lag it. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. We do drills actually week to week at tour events and back home at medalist and, uh, the drills that we used to set certain goals on, we've had to move the goalposts on those drills Okay. based on the fact that he does actually now make way more 12, 15, 18, 20 footers. Because he's not uh, being as aggressive. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 you know, he's Aaron probably is one of the most underrated guys on the putting green with regards to how talented he is at doing aim point. He is almost surgical with his feet at feeling the slope. Hmm. Um, so he has his charts and, you know, he doesn't necessarily need the greens book. And, and that's probably another topic for discussion another time, but um, he's great at reading greens. The problem was he wasn't matching the speed to his read. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he was missing them, you know, slightly high, slightly low. Um, so I would say, you know, anything inside of 
15 feet right now, 20 feet, he has a fairly high expectation to either make the putt or it's going to get really, really close to going in if it doesn't <laughs> win. Yeah, you got to be excited because like with Aaron from T to green, you know, historically he's been, he's been solid. And, and then, you know, as he struggled and then now he's come to you and you kind of helped him get to this point of building confidence again. Now all of a sudden, all right, you look at him statistically. All right. If this guy has a good putting week, he has a chance to win. I mean, because he's that consistent with his ball striking. And this next guy that I want to ask you about is kind of a similar, um, Kind of story, Mito Pereira uh, from Chile. He's 26. He's had three Corn Ferry Tour wins. Of course, he went back to back. Comes out on the tour. He's a rookie. I don't know what it is about Mito. I, I watch him. I've never met him. Um, but I watch him and I just find myself really, there's something in there about him. You know, it's like he's got a little bit of that it factor. I love his golf swing. He's a Beautiful ball striker. Um, and he's kind of someone, I, you know, I was excited about Sam Burns when he was coming out. And I kind of feel the same way about Mito. You know, like he's love a swing, good driver, great iron player. And his putting is right there as well. As he comes out here and gets comfortable with these courses, and there'll be a learning curve with that. I just think this young man has a chance to be the rookie of the year and could clip one off here uh, with the win. I mean, he was third at Fortinet coming out. You go back to the summer, he was six at the 3M Open, fifth at Barbasol. So he can come out and compete. We know that. But tell us about Mito. Introduce us, what kind of person is Mito Pereira? And then we'll get to his putting stroke, which is fascinating because he's kind of got this little claw, pencil type of hybrid grip. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Mito uh, was introduced to me by Joaquin Neiman as his friend. And mm -hmm. I, I knew he played on the Corn Ferry and, you know, I worked with Joaquin for a long time. And all of a sudden, I got the chance to actually go and see him hit balls and play golf with him. And he really did have that, you know, we'd say in Europe, like sort of je ne sais quoi, like that quality where you really see someone, you know, play golf and you realize this is a little bit different <laughs> and, yeah. and and then and then you go and you you see the the person and what's behind it and i promise you for for as great a ball striker and a player as mito is he is 10 times the person he is just a, an awesome guy to be around he's mm. a deep thinker he's got a great he's got a great uh sense for how to play the game um, and his caddy, you know, actually doesn't play golf. His, his caddy's not a golfer at all. Interesting. They, they gel incredibly well. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to sort of see him play beside Joaquin and practice rounds where you've got similar level levels of ball striking and talent and just see how these two guys approach a golf course from slightly different directions where one is more a, I'm just going to take everything on and my talent is incredible versus Mito is his talent's still incredible, but maybe a little bit of a deeper thinker. And, you know, he, he's, he's a pretty, pretty cool guy to be mm -hmm. honest with you. And his grip, when you, when you look at it, he's kind of got the, the right hand. It's not the conventional right hand. It looks more conventional on the left, but he's got the right hand kind of, to the side with the, the two fingers, it looks like the index, the, the index finger and the middle finger kind of on top with thumb underneath, almost a little claw pencil style. Talk, talk about this grip and how you arrived to it and, and really what the purpose is of it. So when he came to see me, he was, he was using a, a claw pencil style grip, very similar to how Tommy Fleetwood would probably grip the putter. So the, the right arm very tucked in, very much a, an underside to under grip on the putter. And uh, the bad putt would generally go left. Mm. And, you know, one of the things I talk about all the time with the guys is you know, strong grips, weak grips, matchups of the, those, you know, the right hand and the left hand matching up and not fighting each other. So 
you know, as far back as March, basically on the corn trade tour, we, we started looking at this stuff. And then, uh, you know, when he puts his best, he generally has a slightly more on top, a little bit like, you know, Colin Morikawa, Marco Mira style. Yeah, exactly. Um, rather than when he gets that right hand a little stronger, that right arm can, can get a little too active and overpower the left and the club face closes. And, and then sometimes he can, he can hit the odd pull, but he's done a, he's done a fantastic job and, you know, really trusted me through getting to know me with Joaquin and, and their coach, Edo Miguel. Um, and similar to, to Aaron, you know, we, we talked a lot about how excited we were during the BMW, the Northern trust last year to get rid of those stats from from the last season and start fresh in in the new 2022 schedule. Mito and, and myself have some plans to do some some work on, on his green reading, some aim basic aim point work over this off season. Mm-hmm. And you know, once RSM is over and, and we get back towards Hawaii and that West Coast swing, um, and he's going to add some tools to his arsenal to come out next year an even more accomplished putter than what he currently is. So Aimpoint has been around a while, Mark Sweeney and who designed it and owns it. And for the audience, you know, Aimpoint is really using your feet more as a self-leveling system versus just your eyes. Um, Do you find that most players can calibrate their feet that you've worked with at that level? What what percent would you say? I wouldn't, because I know I've met a few. They're like, I can't do it because I can't feel it in my feet. Right. (laughs) Um, But what percent would you say professional level that you've seen worked with, talked with can really use their feet in the way that Aimpoint wants you to? I mean, I think with, with good training, probably you'd say eight, eight out of 10. Okay. Um, you know, Mark Sweeney probably might have a slightly higher number than that that's possible, but certainly I think to the to the level that you need to be able to do it on the PGA Tour, 8 out of 10 should be able to achieve it. And, um, you know, in the last two to three weeks, Mito and I have done a little at some basic kind of with a digital level on different slopes, and it's amazing within two to three weeks of just even doing it on a on a part-time basis how quickly he's gotten pretty good with his feet. And when you do that in the basic training, it's, it's first to be able to, okay, when you're standing here, what do you, what do you feel? Which foot is higher, right? So is it right, yeah. left? And obviously the bigger slopes, you can feel it, but can you feel the sensitivity in the salt, the smaller ones? So I would imagine that's first. And then second would be then to quantify the percent, right? Okay. This feels like a 2%. This feels like a three. Is that kind of the yeah. order of, of the training? Yeah. And, you know, I think I was trying to keep it more general because Mito and I would say even Carlos Ortiz would fall into a similar category where the marginal putts, those, you know, you look at a putt and you're like, is this inside right? Mm. And the caddy comes in and the caddy goes, no, I, I kind of see it left edge. You know, it's that, mm-hmm. it's that, it's, it's such a small break. It's almost like it's hard to see which break you're trying to play. Um, and the guys really struggle with those putts and if they can use their feet or a green book or whatever tool they're allowed to use to get clarity before they set up to that putt and then ultimately pull the putter back. Um, that can only, that can only help them because, you know, I, I had Brad Faxon in my studio the other day and we were, we were talking putting and, I asked Brad, I was like, what, what percentage of work do you think goes into teaching putting before the putter swings back? Um, Brad said, I think 90%. Mm. And I, I probably, you know, when people ask me, I'd say probably it's maybe even higher than that. What I teach is probably at least 90%, maybe a bit more about what goes on before the putter moves. Yeah. When, when you, you know, the putting swings only so small that it, it, 
can't get that far off if the, if the setup is and the, the process is right. Do you feel like you are constantly overshooting greens or coming up short because you choose the wrong club? Well, if that's the case, today is your lucky day because I'm proud to announce my brand new partnership with the boys over at Pinned Golf. Their brand new Ace Range Finder is amazing and it's only $199. I've been using it for a couple weeks now and I was blown away with the quality. It has a slope technology, pin lock vibration technology. So you know exactly when you are locked onto your target tour lever accuracy. And best of all, it is powered by a USB charge so you can forget about those little batteries. Every other rangefinder makes you buy. One 45 minute charge lasts you 50 plus rounds. I love it. Our friends over at Pin Golf are hooking up all of our listeners with $25 off and free shipping when you use code Stripe Show. That's code Stripe Show. I'm telling you, for $175, you simply cannot beat the Ace Rangefinder. Head out over to pingolf.com and get yourself the Ace and get dialed in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think those ones where it's the in-betweener, it's so subtle using your feet. I also... And teaching it to amateurs, I feel like um, I feel like it helps them in those scenarios. I also feel like it helps them on downhill putts more as well, and getting them to sense it through their feet. I find that in people reading downhill putts with their eyes, they don't see enough, um, and they certainly underplay it downhill. So versus stretching the breakout, and particularly on faster greens, they'll see it better kind of going uphill versus they're standing yeah. high and looking down. You know, they don't they don't see it as much, right? It's like the camera, aerial camera looking straight down that just looks flat. So yes. I find it helps on the in-betweeners, not breaking a lot, which way is it going to go? And then also downhill putts, sensing it through the feet, stretching the break, feeding it in there. Um, yeah, I love it. I, I think it's... I remember when Mark first came out with it and he came to the Academy with his books, you know, when he first came out and it was fascinating and such a, such a big learning curve. Um, Yeah. Mito, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to watch him as he, uh, as he goes in the next year. He's one of a few players that I'm really excited uh, to watch. Of course, he's from Chile, another guy from Chile, Jaco Neiman. And let it be note that you, you told me that Aaron Wise was born in South Africa before. Yeah, in Cape Town, <laughs> South Africa. <laughs> before he came to the United States. Okay, so we're going South Africa, Chile, Chile. Stay with us, folks. We have an international lineup here. But Neiman, 23. God, it feels like he's been around forever. Uh, you know, 23 wins the Greenbrier in 2019. And let it be note, you know, Neiman has lost in a playoff twice this calendar year. You got to go all the way back to Century to Harris English, and then he lost in a playoff in the Rock and Mortgage to Cam Davis. And I think Troy Merritt was in there too. So he's been close. And another guy that I love watching, what is it about Chile? I love watching, you know, I'm kind of a more of a swing guy. And I mean, I teach putting too, but, you know, I, I post a lot of swings on my my platform and those two guys, man, I love watching them hit it. And then you look at Neiman and uh, he's had a nice year. T- talk to us about Jaco Neiman. He's, he seems like a cool kid too. Uh, Joaquin is just a breath of fresh air. Every, every time we, he posts up for a lesson or we get to spend time together at a tournament, he's just awesome. Never stops smiling. Um, <laughs> really works his works his butt off um and i think that the thing with Joaquin he's probably until this point probably been my greatest success with a player he he improved by 60 strokes last year on the putting green over wow. the year before um which came out to almost one shot around better than he was the year before um same putter same grip uh, you know, slightly different setup. You you probably, most of your listeners and stuff, I know they're avid and educated golf fans. They, they'll see him put his 
left hand over his kind of right bicep before yep. he putts every time. And um, that was never meant to go into play in tournament. That was a practice drill we were doing back at home in Florida. And um, he just, he loves golf and he's got incredible talent and, and he's worked his way into, I think pre the playoffs, he was in the top 20 in strokes game putting this year from up from 180th the year before. But what's going on there when he puts his left hand across his chest like that? Because, you know, we, we've seen him do that a bunch. So he loves to forward press the putter. And he sees the putter face very square when he's got a little bit of shaft lean. And before when he would do it, kind of similar to his golf swing, he would get into a lot of sort of right side bends and his head would tilt back to his, so his, his right ear would get very close to his right shoulder. And we found out that he couldn't really see the start lines very well when he got into that setup position. So as he would lean the shaft, his right shoulder would kind of come forward. And then to square his shoulders up, he would kind of lean his whole body back to the right. So he'd have a lot of right side bend in the setup and his, his eyes would be tilted way out to the right. So... You know, he always makes this sort of funny comment because his English has gotten so much better also, by the way. And obviously, he's dealing with a, a guy with an Irish accent. <laughs> um, so uh, one of the things that we, you know, the basics at the start was the right ear and the right shoulder are not friends. So he would try and push his shoulder back and down away from his right ear. Mm. And he would try and keep his eye line very square. So. That's, it was really a setup thing. It's fascinating. And it just at that level, you know, of skill, you get in there and it's, there's a lot of discovery for you. I would imagine as a coach of, okay, what is his perception? What does he think he's seeing? Right. And then you got to get in there and almost you got to discover that. And then you got to, then you got to rewire it to get his perception to be correct <laughs> oh it's 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 been incredible and it's a learning like you say it's it's a learning curve with with every player because you get eye dominance or you know the without sounding like too much of a nerd it's it's the vernier acuity which is like the, the physiology of your eye you know certain people see straight up and down and certain people see more horizontal and you know you got to find the right way to see the putt for that player. Um, so it's with Joaquin, when he visually feels comfortable over the golf ball, like he did in Mexico last week, um, he can really, he can roll it. He, can, mm -hmm. he has become, he has become an elite level putter from somebody that was way below average uh, 18 months ago. Do you see the confidence building with him now? Like, do you see, I mean, cause I would imagine a player like that who is towards the bottom strokes gain statistically putting, and they know what that means, right? They're not dumb. They start adding up the strokes and what that means financially. And, you know, yeah. and you know, it's easy to lose your confidence, right? I mean, it's easy to get beat down in this game. Um, I mean, shoot, we just go out and play for fun and it kind of, Beats you down. I can't, you know, you go out there and start competing with the best in the world. And this is your livelihood. And now all of a sudden, you know, I mean, that's fair to say, probably turned a bit of a weakness now into a strength. And all of a sudden, do you see a more confident guy? It's like before, I was like, I don't even want to go to the putting green and putt. Now it's like, give me my putter. Let's go roll some putts. <laughs> a hundred percent. I mean, the guy literally enjoys going to practice his putting. He, he kind of looks forward to getting on the green to convert those birdie chances or, you know, when he misses a green and chips it up there to four or five, six feet, he's, you know, confident in going to the next tee, not having dropped a shot. Yeah. Um, right. So, you know, it, there's just such a trickle down effect through the whole game um, for, for him because, you know, I, I watched it growing up a lot with, you know, with, with Rory McIlroy, for example, and, and Rory's, obviously everyone knows how phenomenal a ball striker he is, but I think sometimes those phenomenal ball strikers, it can almost wear on their confidence because they have so many 
makeable birdie opportunities that, you know, when you go out and you shoot a six, seven, eight under par round, you still may have missed like four, five, six really makeable putts. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Joaquin was certainly, I would put him in that category as well. And it's all getting the perspective right that, you know, when you have those days, you shoot the 62s, 61s, whatever it is. And when you're off, your your putting is is keeping you right there in it, you know. Yeah, it's it's you're right. I mean, it it, it all does work together, complement one another, and you, you certainly have seen it with players where if their putting if their putting is struggling, it puts pressure on the rest of the game. And even though they could be a great ball striker, it starts to put too much pressure on them. They got to they got to hit it too close. Now they're being too aggressive. You know, so there's a trickle down effect there and then it can work the other way too. So it it all does kind of roll together. And I would think in your position, when you get a player who, okay, this is my Achilles heel and like, okay, so we just talked about Neiman and now it's becoming a strength. And we talked about Aaron Wise and now it's becoming more of a strength. I mean, that's a game changer. It's an absolute game changer for guys who can get their tee to green and now all of a sudden their putter is uh, not holding them back anymore so that's that's exciting stuff have you ever seen a more flexible individual than jockey neiman i i don't think so (laughs) (laughs) he he is he is he is one of one of a kind for sure and it's uh, interesting to see him at the pool or something like that. And you, you see him with like just a pair of shorts on and, mm-hmm. and you look, you look at his physique and then you watch him just, you know, find it with 124 mile an hour club head speed or whatever <laughs> no, it is. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's impressive. It is impressive. <laughs> you, you, you slow his swing down and it is, it's amazing to watch his body and where he puts himself um, in these positions. So you've got, all right, let's keep this international flavor going here. Um, let's go to one of my favorite guys, Shane Lowry, who, of course, won the Open a few years back now. Missed a year with Coven. He's an Irishman. And he went, so Shane was left-hand low, right? And now he's went to conventional. So that's that's quite the change, right? Left-hand low, back to conventional. That happened earlier this year. Take us through that. Yeah, so Shane, we we didn't really know each other at all back in Ireland, but we lived quite quite close to each other here down in South Florida. Shane had reached out to me uh, over Instagram and sort of said, hey, you know, I'm really struggling. Could you have a look? And um, the first week we worked together was the week of Bayhill, and he was trying to make this left-hand blow really work. and he had a horrible week at Bay Hill, missed the cut, and hadn't since then actually didn't miss a cut until Mexico last week. He he went all summer, obviously made the Ryder Cup team. But the change that we looked at was Shane's well-known for his short game prowess. And when I watched him hit some chip shots and see the way he kind of walked into shots and the kind of fluidity, we tried to bring that approach to his putting. Mm. And he's got him. He's got incredible hands. Um, he sets up a little open with his chip shots, and you know he's got this beautiful speed control. So, you know, we we started trying to copy that in his in his putting game, and he sets up a little bit like you know an Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicklaus back in the day, a little open, hunched over it, um, with his you know conventional grip now. Um, and that was a that was a big change. The first week he used it was at the players, the week after Bay Hill. Finished eighth at the players, and then obviously went on a, an incredible run to make the Ryder Cup team, which was, you know, for him one of the, the absolute main goals of this year. So mm-hmm. again, another one you would say, I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, but Shane did not like practicing his putting. Mm. Um Shane wouldn't even practice putting before the round. He would go and make a couple of four footers and go to the course on a tournament day. <laughs> so now he, you know, he has a pre warm up uh, before he goes to the range. He comes and putts. He sees me. Um, 
Then he goes to the range, he warms up, and then he comes back to the green, hits a few pots, makes a few four-footers in a row, and then goes to the first tee. But I got to say, Shane has had such discipline um, and belief because after the first week we worked together, I kind of thought, oh, God, this is this couldn't go any worse. You know, he's had the worst putting week in, in the history of his PGA Tour career this week. And it's my first week. I'm fired. This is Arnold Palmer. Uh, this is Arnold Palmer, yeah. Um, you know, I see him after the after the Friday round, and he's missed the cut, and we meet at Sawgrass the next week, and he's he's ready to go again. And I think it's probably one thing that Shane does not get enough credit for is his hard work and his discipline and his drive to get better. And he, behind closed doors, has worked about as hard as anyone on the putting green mm. in the la- in the last you know seven to eight months it's it's been really fulfilling to be able to be part of that journey with him and you know to be able to see him hold up that that winning putt on the 18th green for his match on Saturday yeah. evening at the Ryder Cup that kind of was the breakthrough moment um where he had a real pressure putt and you know, he felt great over it. And then, you know, had had an incredible putting week in Vegas. Didn't hit it great, but, you know, I think he's, again, trying to turn a weakness into at least a strength that will complement his incredible short game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. CJ Cup, he putted really well um, and didn't hit it as well. Yeah, he does have a great short game. I went down and did a, a couple of years ago, I met him and did this show for, golf digest and hosted it and interviewed Shane and we did a lot of short game shots and it's, it's magic and watching that guy around the green, his hands are, are so good. Let me ask you this left hand low. I put left hand low. Um, the benefits of kind of give me a few cliff notes here. The benefits for our audience of going lead hand low. Um, you know, what, what, when would you recommend that to someone if they're doing what? I think a lot of it would be for guys that struggle with getting their shoulders aligned properly. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of guys tend to set up a very open. Um, and then the other one I would say is guys with too much face rotation in the putting stroke. Um, you know, Dave Stockton would certainly be a big proponent of feeling that sort of lead wrist traveling more down the target line, almost like a, like a, push feeling mm-hmm. towards the hole. Um, and, you know, I've, I've was very lucky to, to work with Alex Noren for about six, seven months and um, probably a bit longer actually. And, and Alex is a left hand low guy. And uh, Alex is really showed me that some of the advantages of left hand low, if you do it properly, you can have incredible face control. Yeah. It can really reduce the amount of, opening and closing of the putter face. And, um, you know, I'm not a big proponent of this whole part of, you know, really releasing the, the toe of the putter. Um, I've got, you know, a lot of data that would probably prove that it's actually hurtful to most people's strokes rather than helpful. Um, so, you know, guys that I really need to reduce putter face rotation, one of the one of the first things I kind of would suggest is, yeah, have you tried left hand low or would you even consider practicing that way to get some feels? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly, you know, there was a stigma. I remember, you know, when I first got into golf, I'm 44 and I remember kind of left hand low was like, people were like, why would you go? Oh, if you put left hand low, that means you can't putt. I'm like what, <laughs> you know, remember that was, that was kind of the deal. And then, and of course, you know, there is no stigma now. It's like, hold it any way you want. You know, you get that thing to match up and start online with good speed. There's a lot of ways to, there's a lot of ways to go about it. There's probably more ways to putt than there is to swing a golf club. You know I mean? As far as different styles of grips and, and things and setups, but you know, at the end of the day, it's everyone kind of does look a little bit different um, from a putting perspective go back we'll go back to conventional here for a second talk about the lead hand it's definitely not in a putting grip do you like to see it 
you know, not in the fingers as much as it, is it in the lifeline or is it more in the kind of the meat part of the hand um, in the left hand or the lead hand? What are you looking for there? I, I do tend to like it up more through the lifeline. Okay. Um, so that the shaft and the forearms will match up as much as possible. Um, so, you know, obviously depending on, on grip thickness and, and shape of the grip that guys use uh, and the size of their hands, you know, obviously trying to get those matchups. Um, I think with conventional grip, the one thing I always kind of look for in that lead hand, lead wrist is that whatever, you know, angle you have between the forearm and the back of your, of your lead, lead hand at setup that you, you do bring that back at impact to the same amount of, of angle. Mm. Um, you know, just obviously trying to keep that shaft angle as consistent as possible, the loft on the club. And, you know, that obviously for, for me mostly stems from controlling that lead wrist as much as possible to, to give you a consistent, consistent loft, consistent shaft angle. And, and then as a result, the face angle. In the top of the wrist almost, you know, for a lot of players, it almost feels like it's a little bit unhinged, right? Like a little bit mm-hmm. of ulnar deviation, yes. not as much angle in the top of the wrist. And then that trail hand comes in. I find, I find that people put the trail hand, the bottom hand on too high and the right form gets really tall mm-hmm. and off plane. Yes. And, you know, when you, when you show them how, okay, let's soften the right elbow, soften that trail elbow, put the right hand a little more to the side. And now the forms match up a little bit more. All of a sudden, the path of that stroke starts to look pretty clean. What do, what do you find with like the trail hand form? What do you like to see there? I, w- I would say you're 100% right. Because if you get it through the, the lifeline on the left hand, that would be considered a pretty weak golf grip. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, you know, people trying to almost get their right thumb to work straight down the grip, the flat part does get the right hand on pretty high, the right forearm pretty pronounced out front of the left and the shoulders open. And you know, I'm a I'm a real fan of a double overlap grip when I'm when okay. I see guys putting conventional because you know the shape of the thumbs, I kind of like to see, you know, the knuckle of the the thumb, the mid midway point of the left thumb fit into kind of the, the socket knuckle of the right thumb so that the, the thumbs are shaped if you if you put them beside each other and sort of set them an inch away uh, an inch you know higher and lower than each other they kind of fit into each other and to get there your right hand definitely has to be quite far under the club yeah in, in a fairly strong position mm-hmm. yeah that's a game you know just like you said earlier a lot of this stuff happens before you hit it and getting the grip, different options there, and then starting to get these wrist angles and forearms in line starts to make a huge difference for everybody, really. I mean, and, you know, for amateur players and even some of these players that you're working with. Talk about, <clears throat> you already talked about the eyes and difference in the eyes. You could probably talk about that for <laughs> an hour, you know, I mean, easily. But talk about just distance from the ball like managing how far i stand versus how much i hinge forward versus where my weight is like from toe to heel just kind of managing all of that what do you what do you tend to see there so i would i would probably say that the the biggest pet peeve of mine when i look at the setup from sort of down the line is is seeing the weight way back on the heels okay um, I don't think you really very often see guys get too much on their toes, but you often see guys get too much on their heels. Um, the other thing I would say is that most people do stand too far from the ball. Um, and, and certainly the one big thing for me is that I would never generalize the setup to say your eyes should be over the ball slightly inside whatever because when i test players on how they see straight i've seen everything from guys need to have their eyes maybe an inch outside the golf ball on the on the opposite side to where their feet are to guys that need to have their eyes 
two inches inside the golf ball. Interesting. And then obviously over the top of the ball as well, depending on neck tilts and eye lines and how, you know, where Joaquin's eyes were, for instance, when he had that sort of right side bend and right neck tilt, where he saw straight there versus when we squared his head and his shoulders up, he needed to then start to get his eyes more out over on top of the golf ball to actually see his line better. Um, and every player I have is slightly different. So yeah. that's something that in my studio, um, I measure for that. And then usually we will measure in centimeters or inches, the distance from the ball to their feet line. And, you know, using a mirror, we'll actually mark off on the mirror where exactly should your eyes be, you know, should, you know, relative to the ball. So I am, you know, very strict with the guys that they have a baseline and every day they go on the green, they put their mirror down, they measure whatever it might be, you know, seven inches from the ball to their toe line and they put a rod down there and that's their baseline practice drill. Love it. So they, they get really dialed in and calibrated and then they're taking that out and they know that this is where they need to be and practice from. They, which just gives them that assurance and confidence that I'm doing the right things and practicing from the right position, right? Taking the guesswork the, out of it. Yeah. Cause the biggest thing for elite level players, whenever they hit it in the left rough, for example, or the trees, they'll be able to turn around and tell you, why they did it, you know, what happened there. But I always have quizzed the guys on why did you miss the putt? And nine times out of 10, their first response is stroke mechanics. Mm. And actually, most times they don't know why they missed the putt when they first come to see me. And my big thing with them always is either if you're going to continue to work with me or you know, if it comes to the time where we part ways and, you know, obviously like caddies or, or coaches or, you know, these things always, you know, come to an end that I want you to be able to use these tools to go by yourself and understand why you missed the putt. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the next putt or the next day or the next practice session, you have an understanding of what you're working on and why you're doing it. Yeah, that's good stuff there. To give let's let me ask you one more question here. Give the audience best players in the world, your putters. If they have a hundred putts from ten feet, how many are they making of those? If they're on a straight putt, they're gonna make a pretty high percentage. So they'll make uh probably 85 percent. So a straight putt, ten footer, eighty-five percent. Maybe more because my, my putt in the studio before I start moving the green around is, is an 11 foot putt. They'll rarely miss. So maybe it's actually 90%. Okay. What is it from 20 feet? Same. 20, 20 feet. They're probably making around on a dead straight putt. They'll, they'll make a little bit over 50%. Okay. So 20, 20 best putters, 20 feet straight putt, just over 50%. And that's when they know it's dead straight and right. they're on a perf perfect carpet surface. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, when I start adding in a little bit of tilt to the greens or we go out on a real green and we start going on like a 1%, 2% slope, those numbers reduce drastically. <laughs> yeah. So on a 10-footer, ball starting outside the hole. Yeah. Now we're down to what, 60%? Yeah. Around sixty percent would be a would be a great number on on a ten footer. Yeah. Um, you know, I've I've got a lot of data that I show the guys based on their stats and, and against the tour average. That you know, if a a one percent slope, um, if you're making sixty percent of those putts, seventy percent of those putts on a one percent slope from ten feet, by the time you hit the same putt a hundred times on a 3% slope, you're probably only going to make about 30% of those. Points. Yeah. Yeah. It puts it in perspective right there. It really does. That's uh, some good stuff there. Stat wise. 
Yeah, well, we could talk forever on mechanics. I know you got your buddies in town. <laughs> and, and, and let it be known for the viewers, too. That he also works with Sebastian Munoz, who's from Colombia. And I also know that you had a lot to do with Adam Svensson from Canada and helping him get to, uh, to the PGA Tour. So you've got this incredible stable of international players, and they all have different grips and styles. And I love that. I love the different portfolio and looks of players and, you know, what they're doing. It's not a cookie cutter, you know, situation, which there's a, it's, there's some art to this, right. To the, um, to putting. So it's, it's, it's great stuff. And I can't thank you enough for, um, coming on the podcast and sharing some of these strokes with us here and talking about them and go give Steven a a follow on Instagram, Steven Sweeney putting and, um, Best of luck to the players this week. And when you come up for the players, I'm building a studio here. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of, I'll, I'll be teaching out of it, but I'll be also doing a lot of really cool um, instructional educational videos. And uh, I'd love to have you come in there and we'll, we'll kind of bring it to life and demonstrate and do some things on the putting green. I, I really look forward to it, Travis. And obviously uh, when you're, when you're find yourself in South Florida, yes, you uh, you always know you have a place to come and uh, work in your stroke if you want to. Yes, I need it. I <laughs> a left hand law. Although I, it's very strange because I, you know, might not talk about my game here, but you know, I, I struggle. I was putting young. I mean, I was a decent ball striker, but my putting was very up and down. And as I've gotten older, and I've kind of simplified it. I feel like I'm a better putter in my forties than I was in my twenties, which is really weird to say, but it's the case. And the bar wasn't set very high in my twenties, <laughs> but, um, I would love it. I, I love working on my strokes. So I'll take you up on now. Come down and let you uh, work on me a little bit. Steven, I appreciate your time, man. Um, enjoy the golf and uh, thanks for coming on the stripe show podcast. Let's take a second to talk about the folks over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation across the golf industry and with golfers everywhere for its combination of value, performance, and customer service. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is flipping the script on golf technology through perimeter-weighted balls made with the high-density particles and proprietary nanotransitional layer offering players enhanced accuracy, control, and distance. Encore recently added the Vero X1 to its suite of award-winning golf balls, one that already included the Golf Digest gold-rated Elixir and low-compression Avant 55. Through its full suite of golf balls, Encore can help transform any golfer's game. Visit EncoreGolf.com backslash Travis Fulton for more info about Encore and start revolutionizing your game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. 